Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. This week... I sent that I sat at my desk this past week and I wrote out a bunch of cards. Uh, you know, I get a bunch of cards. I get these cards ordered, and I wrote out a bunch of cards and I sent them to people. And I just wanted to say something to them, so I sent them to them, and I wrote them and I hand wrote them. And it occurred to me: Do you know that's becoming a lost art of just handwriting? Is becoming a lost art. As a matter of fact, my handwriting is sloppy now. I used to have good penmanship. Oh, there's your word for the day. <laughs> penmanship. You ever heard? Some of y'all have never even heard that word. Penmanship. Have you heard that word? Penmanship. That's your handwriting. That's what we called it. That's what you, that's what you call writing. Penmanship. I used to have really good ones. I went to Catholic school. And one thing them nuns are going to teach you, they're going to teach you how to write. Hold that pen wrong and see what happens. <laughs> you hold the pen wrong and them nuns come by. I don't know how they do it. Just they, they got the robe, they got the, the robe and the big sleeves, and you, you're sitting there and, they, and you, you know, you're doing your letters. I will never forget this. You're sitting there doing that. I don't know how they do it. I think it's like a, an, an automatic, um, a retractable ruler <laughs> under their sleeve, and it just sh- and goes right back in. They, you never even see it coming. You don't see it. It doesn't come out slowly. It just, you just feel it, and then it disappears. It's amazing. You hold the pen wrong. You get, if you go to Catholic school, if you've gone to Catholic school, you know I'm right about it. They will teach you good penmanship. Write things down. Don't, let's not lose the art of communication and talking to each other. How many misunderstandings because a text was written wrong? Uh, some real misunderstandings because they have the autocorrect and then you just boom, boom, boom. I sent one one time and my son sent me back and said, Dad, your language. <laughs> and I read it. I went, oh, that's not what I was meaning to say. <laughs> he goes, Dad, your language. And I'm like, I read him. What do you mean my language? I looked at it. I went, oh, man, because the autocorrect said something that Let's move on. <laughs> David is trying to do something nice. And because Hanan is hanging around negative people, feeding him negative information leads to trouble. I've said this. Got your pen? I've said this. Write this down. There are basically two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. Basement people and balcony people. Basement people and balcony people. Basement people are negative people always trying to pull somebody down. Balcony people are positive people always trying to lift somebody up. Basement people will say you can't give up. It's over. 
Balcony people will say, you can. Don't give up. It's not over till God says it's over. Balcony people say, keep going for Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. Don't get weary. Balcony people say, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. That's what balcony people say. Balcony people are encouraging people. Basement people are discouraging, censorous, judgmental people. Always looking for the hidden agenda. In our text, these men are the surrounding Hanan are, are, are basement people. So the men of Ammon treated David's men shamefully and humiliated them, shaved their heads, exposed their backsides, and God gives us the details and sent them away. Now listen, according to the Jewish tradition and the Torah, the beard was a symbol of masculinity and kind of manliness, like machismo. In that culture, beards were a sign of honor. In that culture, only slaves and servants were shaved. Free men wore beards. Sometimes men would even swear by their beards. So, you know, like you say, like, uh, man, I'm telling you the truth on my mama. On my mama, I'm telling you the truth. Well, they would say, man, I'm telling you the truth on my beard. I'm just trying to put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them. On my beard, I'm telling you, man, on my beard. It was just a point where they would swear by their beard or if somebody was grieving, they would tear their beard out of their face. I think of Ezra Bible students. I think of Ezra chapter 9. Ezra heard the people were intermarrying with pagans. You know the story. And the Bible says that Ezra cried before God and pulled out his beard. And the people saw Ezra pulling out his beard. And they cried. And they repented. Repented. On the other hand, Nehemiah heard the people were intermarrying with the pagans. And Nehemiah didn't pull out his beard. Nehemiah pulled out their beards. Amen. And that's the way to do it. I'm going to pull my beard out. I'm going to pull your beard out. He pulled their beards out. And again, the Bible tells us the people cried and they repented. So listen, what the Ammonites did was embarrassing and humiliating and basically spitting in David's face and, and his kindness. So now it's not just embarrassment. This is a declaration of war. So I'm thinking, okay, God, what do you want us to know from this? Well, think about this. When you share the gospel, you're bringing gifts, if you will. You're bringing good news. You might even say you're sharing condolences. You're giving hope. But even though when we are sharing the best and giving hope and giving gifts, people like Hanan will cut and expose you. People like Hanan will mock and laugh at you and call you a Jesus freak. Paul told Timothy, there will be Hanan's in your world. But you need to be ready. Second Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Anybody know? Persecution. You know that. Jesus said in Matthew 5.11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think God wants us. Got your pen? I think God wants us to share the best and prepare for the worst. Share the best and prepare for the worst. Getting ahead of myself, but then you're going to see the enemy drive back. 
getting ahead of myself. You, you, that's, that comment will make sense in just a second. Look at verse 5. When David found out about it, he sent a message to his men to wait in Jericho until their beards grew back and then come home. This would avoid their further embarrassment. Verse 6. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive, Look at verse 6. Y'all looking at verse 6? Repulsive to David. Now listen, you got to love the King James. Because the King Jimmy says, when the, now we read New King Jimmy. The King Jimmy, if you're reading King Jimmy, it says, when the children of Ammon saw that they had stank before David. You got to love the King Jimmy, don't you love it? You got to love it. They were stanky. And they knew it. The people of Ammon went and they hired the series of Beth Rehob and Zobah and hired several centers in Syria, a total of 33,000 men. First Chronicles 19.6 tells us they paid Ammon a thousand talents. That's a lot of money. So obviously they realized they insulted David and there's going to be a problem. In verse 7, David sent Joab and all the mighty men. Now, Now, I point this out because... This is the first time that David calls them mighty men. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, this is the first time David calls them mighty men. Keep in mind, these are the same men. Are y'all listening tonight? Y'all awake? Okay. Keep in mind, these mighty men are the same men who showed up in the cave uh, in 1st Samuel 22. Uh, in the cave of Adullam, these men come to David, and the Bible says that they were in debt, distressed, and discontent. Now, these same men who showed up in debt, distressed, and discontent are now a mighty force for David. These are now mighty men of God, trained men. Some of them have gone on to become David's ambassadors and dignitaries, and some of them are David's SEAL team members. These are really important guys and, 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 and strong men. They were distressed and discontent and in debt, and now they're mighty men of God. And listen, there is a sermon in there. We don't have time for it tonight, but that is exactly what God does. Is that right? God, God takes us who are in debt, discontent, and distressed, and he transforms us, and he uses us. And changes us. I think Sunday I talked about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And that transformation that takes place. That's a whole other sermon. But that's what God does. Well, look at verse 8. The children of Ammon came out and they set up the, they set up at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth Rehob, Ishtab, and Maccab were in the field. Now look at verse 9. And we'll read through verse 19 and wrap this up. Look at verse 9. When Joab saw that the battle line, in verse 9, you looking at it, say amen. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, in verse 11, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. Underline verse 12. And for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. 
And so Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. And so Joab returned from the people of Ammon, and he went to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they had defeated, been defeated by Israel, they gathered together and then had a deezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, that would be the river Euphrates, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. And when it was told David that he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan and came to Helam, and the Syrians sent themselves in battle array against David and fought with him, then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach the commander of their army who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. Now stop right there, saying the Ammonites, let's get the picture. Let's get a picture here. The Ammonites are on one side and the Syrians are on another side. Joab realized that he was flanked on either side. So Joab chooses the best men to go out and fight, the choice men of Israel, because the Syrians could really fight. Well, verse 10 tells us that the rest he put under the command of Abishai, his brother. Verse 11 tells us Joab said to his brother, listen, if the Syrians are too strong for me, you come help me. And likewise, if the children of Ammon are too strong for you, I'll come help you. Joab set up a group of men in the north and in the south to squeeze in on the enemy like pliers. Now listen to me. This is a military strategy tactic called the pincer movement. The pincer, just for those of y'all that care and the rest of you don't care, go sleep. I'll wake you up in a second called the pincer movement, P-I-N-C-E-R, the pincer movement. Basically, you set up two separate groups of troops to converge on the enemy. That's exactly what Joab did. It's an old move, and it really is still used today. Joab was a great warrior, actually, and you know that. He was so good that David made him commander-in-chief of his army. Now, Second Samuel chapter 8, remember, do you remember the face-off uh, at Gibeon? around the pool and Abner and his soldiers are on one side of the pool. Remember, remember that story? And Joab and his soldiers are on the other side of the pool and they're kind of mean mugging each other and they started sticking swords. It was kind of a game, but not. They started sticking each other with swords like through their necks. It was extremely graphic and many men died. Second Samuel eight sixteen tells us they called the place the field of sharp swords. Joab, as I said, is commander-in-chief, and Joab had done a lot of killing. Joab, you remember the story where he pulled Abner aside, and he stabbed him under the fifth rib in Hebron, right into the heart. And the reason he did that was to get revenge on Abner for killing his brother Ashiel. You remember? Abner, this is an interesting story because Abner didn't want to kill Ashiel. Ashiel's name means Fleet foot. Remember that? Fleet foot. And Abner didn't want to kill him. So Ashiel 
could run really fast. And he's chasing after Abner. Abner's running and turning around looking, going, Ashiel, stop, man. Stop, Fleet Foot. Stop, dude. Stop. You don't want this. Stop. Stop. And he won't stop. So Abner didn't have a choice. He pulled a great military move. They're running so fast. Abner just stopped dead in his tracks, turned around with his sword, facing that way. And Fleetfoot is running really fast, and he ran right into the sword. And he was dead. So Joab is a very skilled military man, and he wants to get revenge for his brother. Joab is a man of blood. And David, you know, also is a man of blood. Look at verse 12. Joab said, I love this statement. That's why I had you underline it. Joab said, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I love that statement. You could also say it like this. If God is with us, then who can be against us? But it's nice to hear, I think what I like about the statement is that, like I said, Joab is a commander-in-chief and he's a military man and he's a, Joab would kill you quicker than quick if he has to, but he's a nice guy. I mean, he's in his heart. I mean, you can hear, that. I, I just think that's just a little glimpse into his heart, into, into his heart. He's a, he's a hardened man. Because of the military, and that's the life that he lives. That's just who he is. I mean, you, you can't change who people are. They just are who they are. And Joab was probably like a baby in diapers playing with a sword and a shield. I mean, he's just, you know, like most babies got like a rattle. He's got a sword. I mean, you know, he was just that, that kind of guy. It's just who he was. But you can see this softer side of him right there in verse 12. When he says, be of good cheer and let's be strong for our God and for the people. And may the Lord do what is good. It's just nice to hear Joab say something spiritual. And Joab said, let's just be men and let God do what God is going to do. At the same time, Joab, being a man, a warrior, uh, he, he, w- he would attack. Joab and his men, in verse 13, came to the battle and... Um, came the battle of the Syrians, and they ran like the Dickens. Verse 14, when the people of Ammon saw the Syrians running, they turned around, they hauled and ran into the city. So here's what's happening. When the people of Ammon realized that they were fighting with Joab, they knew they were fighting seasoned soldiers. So they're immediately afraid because they knew David had defeated the Syrians in the past, and so they said, forget it, I'm out of here. And when the people of Ammon see the 33,000 soldiers they hired with a thousand talents, I told you First Chronicles tells us they hired them for, it cost them a thousand talents each of silver. They see their silver and their soldiers headed for the hills. They take off running and they headed back into the city. They shut the gate where they could kind of hold off. And then in verse 14, Joab said, nothing's going on here. He went back to Jerusalem. Verse 15. When the Syrians saw that they were defeated by Israel, they gathered again. They came back to fight again. They won't quit. Isn't that just like the enemy? They won't quit. Well, look at verse 17. When David heard about it, he gathered the rest of the army of Israel to crush the Syrians, the Syrian army. Now, side note, 
If you're taking notes, you might want to write this in your margin. This is the second battle David personally led Israeli troops to victory. This is the second battle that David personally led Israeli troops to victory. It was a decisive victory. Notice David defeats his enemies, killing 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 horsemen in verse 18. Verse 19 tells us the chapter ends with unfinished business at Rabbah. The Ammonites become subject to Israel. The Ammonites were still in their city, and Joab returned to Jerusalem. Now, the next time we come together in chapter 11, it's going to be a different season of the year, that is. It's springtime in chapter 11. And in that day and in that culture, it was very common for soldiers not to fight during the winter. This was like a common military NATO agreement or something (laughs) where we all agree that during the winter and the snow, we're not going to fight. Everybody just takes off. And they don't fight. So there's no fighting going on. And that's why in chapter 11, when you come back the next time, it won't be next week because next week is communion. It will be the week after. You don't want to miss chapter 11. Listen to Pastor Rodney. You do not want to miss chapter 11. Okay. When we get to chapter 11, the first thing chapter 11 tells us, okay, sneak peek, sneak peek, sneak peek, chapter 11 The first thing chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, it happened when, saints? In the springtime. So chapter 11, we jumped to a whole new season. So obviously there's a break between chapter 10 and chapter 11 because now it's springtime and we'll talk about what happens in the springtime and it ain't good. You know the story. David sent Joab. And the army out again to deal in Ramah here in chapter 10. But as his army is out fighting with Rabbah, David is relaxing chapter 11 comfortably in Jerusalem. And because of that, he fell into the sin with Bathsheba. We'll talk about that. Now, let me tell you just two things really quickly before I let you go tonight from this text that I see. Two things. Number one, this battle was never supposed to happen. This battle was never supposed to happen. The only reason they're fighting is because of gossip. Yeah, I'm going to go there. The only reason they're fighting is because of gossip. Look at verse 3. The people said to Hanan, the king of the Ammonites, do you think that David sent people to comfort you or maybe he's spying on us? I don't know why church folk don't get hold of this. Yep, that's bad English. I don't know why church folk don't get hold of this. Gossip is bad. Gossip is bad. And God hates it. Okay, get it. It's bad and God hates it. And gossip is just as much a sin as drinking, as uh, lying, as stealing, As any other sin, it is amazing to me how preachers pound the pulpit about this, that, oh, you a bunch of sinners, you people, you sinners, you bunch of sinners, you people, you sinners. But then you and your wife go home and you're (laughs) like, did you feel with the head on? (laughs) Yeah, did you hear this? 
Oh, yeah. Did I tell you that? Do you didn't know? Oh, let me tell you this. Gossip is just as much a sin as any other sin. Sin is sin to God. Can we get this? Sin is sin to God. We scale out sin because whatever offends us the most, and there here comes our religiosity, okay? Whatever offends us the most, that's the worst sin. So if I'm offended by homosexuality, that is the worst thing, and you're going to hell. I said hell. You're going to hell. If that's what offends you most, or if somebody's drinking, if, if drinking is drunk, you're going to hell because that's the worst sin to me. And everybody has their scaling out of sin. God doesn't do that. And you need to be thankful God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Sin is sin to God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Am I right about it, Mark? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.